Uh, we'll get those papers passed around. But the title of the message is But First Love. Uh, I hope you guys are taking notes today. Uh, in the junior high, we've been going through the book of John, 1 John, and so we're going to continue going through the book of 1 John uh, today, uh, and we're actually going to be closing out chapter 4. So we're going to be in chapter 4, uh, verses 7 through 21. Um, if there was one thing that I could preach on and teach on, uh, it would be the exact subject that we're going to teach today. And that is the love of God. And I'm not sure, honestly, as I search the scriptures and read, if there is a greater subject to talk about. Uh, last week, uh, in, in the beginning of chapter 4, we looked at how it's important for the Christian to have discernment as we walk with Jesus and seek him. The couple weeks before that, we are in chapter 3. And if you know anything about the book of 1 John, it is considered the book of love. The word love pops up more than I could possibly, no, you actually could count, but I just have not. Um, but chapter three, uh, we looked at a few weeks ago, we looked in depth about the Father's love and our response to that. And if there was one subject more prevailing and talked about in the Bible, I think it's the, this concept of God's love. It's described in so many ways because there's not just one way to describe it. It's so vast. And the love of God is not something that can be talked about exhaustively. You know what exhaustively means? I mean, we can't get to the point where we say, no, I actually know enough about God's love. It is something that for most of you, you have probably heard about your entire life, and you have not heard even close to all of it. We, you and I will spend all of eternity learning and experiencing more and more about what it means that God loves us. There's a verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, and it says this, that in the ages to come, he might show us the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It's this idea that what are we going to do, be doing in heaven? Well, more and more and more as the years go by in heaven, as the time passes, it'll, we will never exhaust knowing God's love. There's, it's too dynamic. It's too broad. A.W. Tozer says about describing God's love, he says it's like trying to take up the ocean in an armful. He says it's like trying to embrace the atmosphere with your hands, or it's, it's, it's as hard as rising to the stars. The idea is that it cannot be fully done. And so for, for some of you, you might think, well, I know about God's love, or I've heard about God's love. Well, you've not heard all of it. And today, it's not that I'm going to be teaching some new revelation, but we're going to be taking an in-depth look at what 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21 has to say about God's love. And so let's go to the scripture, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 21. This is a decent uh, a, a chunk of scripture, so I do want you to follow along. Something that I do tell junior high all the time, which you guys know, uh, is that this, this part that we read the scripture... This is not like the least important part. This is like the most important part. Sometimes you want, you, no, just get to the explaining part. No, the scripture is where the power is at. And so as we go through this and as I read it, uh, I want you guys in your Bibles to be reading along and paying attention uh, because even in this, without any further explanation, God speaks. And so follow along with me. And, uh, and, and one of the things that I often say as well is that if you don't pay attention in this part, 
as we start to get into the message, you'll be very confused because I'll be saying stuff or referring back to the text that we're about to read. And if you don't read along, you're going to be like, I don't remember that. Uh, so let's, we're going to read the text and then we'll pray. Sound good? All right, you guys got to talk to me today. Sound good? Yeah. Come on, don't, don't be afraid of little amens, hallelujah, things like that, okay? So verse 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. In this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, We also ought to love one another. Verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. You guys seeing a pattern of love here? Mentions it multiple, multiple times. Verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we might have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is so are we in this world there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment or punishment but he who fears has not been made perfect in love we love him because he first loved us if someone says i love god and hates his brother he is a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen how can he love god whom he has not seen and this commandment we have from him that he who loves god must love his brother also god we come before you this morning not in a way of repetition but in a way of expectation. Lord, we know that you have love for us, but I confess, Lord, on behalf of my brothers and sisters here that we don't know the half of it. Lord, that every day we are experiencing your love more and more, that the height and the depth and the width of your love is something that we are gonna discover more and more, not just in this life, but in the life to come. We thank you for the truth that nothing can separate us from your love, and we pray today as we look at this subject that we would not just be educated and know more, Lord, but we would just be closer to you. And so we give you this time, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so yet again, uh, this is a a term that John uses over and over again. If you look at verse 7 where we opened up a moment ago in our reading, he again says beloved, and, and it's that term of endearment as we looked at last time together. It's this idea of repetition, that John repeats himself a lot in the area of God's love and a couple other subjects, and it's the idea that he wants us to understand. And uh, our portion of scripture that we have today is rather large. There's a, a good amount of verses, and it is thick, 
And so what we're going to do, rather than go kind of one verse after another in order, I want to give you today four prevailing features regarding God's love that we find here. So four features regarding God's love. You can go to the next slide. Four features regarding God's love. The first two that we're going to look at today, um, the first two are going to have to do with the nature of God's love, meaning it's going to be a description of God's love. And then the second two that we're going to look at today has to do with how God's love impacts and affects us. But we're going to look at these four. It's not the only thing in scripture, but these are some of the biggest things that we'll pull out today. Sound good? All right. You guys ready for number one? Number one, we're going to look at the fact that God's love is original. God's love is original. If you're taking notes, this is uh, uh, one of the points, so you're going to want to write that down. We see this in verses 8 and 16, and we see this in the concept twice the Bible says here in this passage that God is love. Raise your hand if you've ever heard the phrase, God is love, mostly all of us, I would think so. And this is a concept and idea that God is inseparable from his love. Um, what are, maybe you can think of some things that are inseparable. There's some things in our life, uh, and they're simply inseparable. For example, there's no such thing as the ocean if there is no water, right? Those two things are inseparable. Or there's no such thing as walking without legs. It just, I mean, I mean you might have like something that looks like a leg, but you, you got to have that to walk. There's no such thing as relationship without a choice, that that's not relationship, that there has, there, those two concepts are inseparable. You can't have lunch without food, and you can't have a high schooler without their phone, right? Just kidding. I, I had a rag on you guys. Come on. Um, but you guys can understand this idea that it's inseparable, and the love of God and the nature of God, they're inseparable, and, but it is important to note that it says God is love. It doesn't say love is God. Now, let me give you a quote here. A.W. Tozer says this, love is an essential attribute of God. Love is something true of God, but it is not God. I mean, that when we say God is love, that doesn't mean that's all God is. It is not a definition. It is a description, okay? That it is an essential attribute or characteristic uh, of who God is. It's not uh, all of who he is, uh, but when God acts in a righteous or just way, it's not that his love ceases. It's that everything God does, whether he creates, whether he judges, whether he rules, every act of God, it is, his love is involved in that. It's been accurately said that love does not define God, but God defines love love. I mean that if you were to just say God is love, oh man, you are missing a whole so much more to who God is. But God is the one who defines what love is. You see, God is the very essence and source of love. He is the, when I, when I say that God's love is original, it's the idea that God's love, that he is the origin of it. It's a part of his very nature. It's not something that God does, but rather it's something of who he is. And God loves perfectly. God's never loved halfway. That he is the perfect example of what love is and what love looks like. See, everything God does is out of love. He is the origin. He is the source. Even non-believers who love 
And I think there are. I think there's non-believers who are able to uh, have displays and acts and relationships uh, based on even God's design of love. But the only reason they're able to do that is because God created them in the first place in the image of God. You see, it all comes back to him. But as I said before, love is not the only thing God is. He's also holy, and he's the very source of holiness. Hopefully, you've had time in your life uh, to look at the different attributes or characteristics of God, uh, how, how God is good. That everything, God, it, everything that is good, it comes as a result from God. He is the source. Or God is just, meaning everything he does is within line of perfect justice and righteousness. That God is wisdom, God is merciful, God is eternal, God is all-knowing. And these are just some of his attributes. But one of the ones that we find prevailing in scripture, one of the essential ones, is that God is love, that he is loving. Make sense? So number one, we find in this passage the, the nature of God, that he is love. Okay, number one, original. Number two, you guys ready for it? Are you sure? You taking notes? All right, number two, it's that God's love is initiating. God's love is initiating. And we see this in verses nine through 10, and you can also see it in verse 19. And this idea is that God is the initiator of his love for us, right? We see here in scripture that it talks about how it's not that we loved God, but that he loved us, that we love him because he first loved us. That's what the scriptures we read just said, that the only reason that you and I are able to love God is because God loved us. He made the first move, okay? He initiated the relationship. Our relationship with him was his idea first. He actually pursued us. He came and drew us. John chapter six, verse 44, you can note it down. John chapter six, verse 44 says, no one can come to me. This is Jesus speaking. Unless the Father who sent me draws him. And that's the, that's the word I want you to focus on here. The word draws him. And that's what God does. That though you and I, the Bible says in James chapter 4, that we are to draw near to God. And then God draws near to us. And it almost can seem that we're the initiator. But yet when you look at scripture as a whole, it's that God is the one who first drew near to us. And then he actually draws us by his spirit near to him. And then God is even more able to, to draw even more near. The idea is that he, that we are able to come because of his invitation. You guys tracking with me today? Yes? So he is the initiator. C.H. Spurgeon, he says this. There's, I have a lot of quotes in this message. I usually don't have a ton of quotes, but today I have them. And that's just the, the way it is. So hopefully they're encouraging for you guys. Spurgeon says this, Every man that ever was saved had to come to God, not as a lover of God, but as a sinner. And then believe in God's love to him as a sinner. Meaning this, it's not that God was so impressed how you loved him. And so he's like, okay, now I'm going to love you. No, every time he is the one that takes the first step. He is the one that initiate, 
um, excuse me, initiates. And our love is only a response of gratitude uh, to the fact that he loved us because he displayed it. That in his pursuit, in his drawing of us, in his, uh, of wanting us to come to him and wanting us to love him because he loves us so much, in that he didn't just say it. It's not that God just wrote a letter, you know, and said, I, I love you. That he displayed this love for you and I. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, is this idea of the display. It says this, but God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And notice it was while we were still sinners, not while we were cleaned up. He died for us, whether we would draw to him or not, whether we would accept the invitation to come into a relationship with or not, that he made the first move. He put the display on. And the only reason that you might be a loving person and displaying and God might be using you to love on other people is only because he displayed it first. It's only he's the one that set the example. And that's where we see verse 9 come in. Let's read verse 9 once more in our text. Verse 9 says, in this, love, in this the love of God was manifested. It means that it was shown. It was put on display. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Kind of sounds like John 3.16. It's the same author, so... But God simply, right, didn't tell us that he loved us, but he demonstrated, he showed us, it was clear. Warren Wearsby says this, God is love is not simply a doctrine of the Bible. It's not something just intellectual. It is an eternal fact clearly demonstrated at Calvary that God has something to say to us and God has done something for us. He wasn't all talk. It wasn't just words. That when God tells you, hey, I want you to love not just in word and in, in, uh, in tongue, but in deed and in truth, it's because God did that. He wants us to love like that, not just in what we say, but what we do, because he's the one that did that. He's the example. And the fact that God's love is original, as we looked at, and the fact that God's love is initiating, uh, in this passage are the overwhelming themes of the nature of his love. In no way did we just go over that in an exhaustive way. There's uh, so much more there. But as you read this passage, these are the, the big things that John wants us to grasp, okay? And it's that God's love is original. He's the source. And that God is the one that the only reason there's any love in our life, you might have a passionate love for God, awesome. You might have just sang that song of, of how you stand amazed and you, at, at the Savior's love and how you love him. It's only because he took the first step. Make sense? It's important things that we need to know about the love of God. These next two features uh, that we see here in our scripture of God's love have to do with how his love impacts and affects us. Okay, so this, this is going on the basis that we have received God's love. That he's, he's the one that created love in the first place because it's a part of his nature, He's the one that took the first step, but there's the idea that we have to receive that, that, that there's the idea that we have to accept that, right? That's, that's what we do as believers. And what we're going to look at now is the impact and the effect 
of how God's original and initiating love uh, impacts our lives. Okay, ready for them? Number three, uh, the third feature that we're going to look at today is the fact that God's love emboldens us. It is emboldening. I know it's kind of a funny word, but just the one that, that, that picked. It's this idea that as we begin to understand and receive God's love, and even those two simple foundational aspects of God's love, it is going to naturally, well, more supernaturally, create a boldness that is without fear. That for a man or a woman, for a boy or a girl to experience the true biblical love of God, there's going to be a supernatural and the natural response in you that is going to create this boldness without fear. What do I mean? Well, let's look at verses 17 and 18 together. Okay, so look in your Bibles. We'll read them again. It says this, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. And there's this, as we look at this scripture, it starts out in verse 17, it says that, that love has been perfected. You see that? Look at verse 17. It says that love has been perfected. The word in Greek actually shows up twice where uh, it would read that love has been perfectly made perfect or love has been completely made complete. The, the, it's the idea of completion or perfection, that, that it's brought them to a place of maturity, that this would be the sign of, an, of someone who understands the love of God, that it creates a boldness in the day of judgment. I want you to write this down. Boldness in this context, in this context, it means a simple confidence. A simple confidence. Kind of how a child has a simple confidence that their dad would protect them from anything. That they wouldn't even think twice about that. That it's just a simple, yeah, totally. I could go anywhere with my dad. He he's the strongest guy in the world. He could kill anyone, right? That a child might have that simple confidence, not with a lack of knowledge, but because of an understanding of his dad's love for him, there's this simple confidence. It's this frankness. It's this kind of like, yeah, that's just how it is. He's going to protect me. Or how a child has a simple confidence that their mom will always be there for them. Or at a young age, um, there's just this, there's just simple, yeah, I could ask my mom and, and of course she would do that for me, of course. Boldness, guys, is to be without fear or apprehension. F boldness is the idea of being without uncertainty. That for the one who has been brought into a real understanding of God's love for them as a child of God, that day of judgment that all of us will face will be something we actually look forward to. And this is completely counter to an unbeliever. That for an unbeliever, uh, there really should be terror. 
There should be uncertainty. There should be this idea of fear. There should be an apprehension because they don't know. There's uncertainty. But for you and I, as we dwell on, as we meditate on, as, as the love of God becomes something a part of our life, that there's just this simple confidence that comes out because you know your Father's love, that that day of judgment for the believer is something we can actually look forward to. And if you've been going through this series with us in 1 John, this is something that John has been building to, this idea of boldness. It's not something that he just uh, is talking about for the first time. You can note down 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. It won't be on the screen, uh, but you can flip back just one page. 1 John 2, 28 says, And now little children abide in him, that when he appears we may have confidence, that's the word, and, now be, and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And then in chapter 3, verse 21 of 1 John, he, he has this idea again. He says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. With this letter being focused on, on love more than any other topic and subject, boldness, this simple confidence should be the result. And for you, if you don't have that, that should be something of concern. And we'll look at that in a moment. But notice he says the reason why. In verse 17, he says, we may have this boldness in the day of judgment because, so this is the reason, because as he is, so we are in this world. He's speaking about Jesus. He says, as Jesus is, so we are in this world. That as you look at the gospels, Jesus, when he was here on earth and lived his life, he had an incredible connection and relationship with the Father. It's undeniable that he wasn't doing his own thing. He was one with the Father, that there was this connection that he did the Father, uh, Father's will, that he did whatever God wanted him to do. And John chapter 17, verse 11 says this. John 17, verse 11 says, Now I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me. This is Jesus praying that they may be as we are one. That as Jesus had a relationship with the Lord when he dwelt on earth, you and I have the capacity and ability to have a very similar connection. That you and I, as New Testament church believers, we're able to have a connection that Jesus had with the Father. That as God looks down on you and I, we can have boldness because we know that he's looking at us through the lenses not of our works, but of what Jesus did. It's the idea that we are positionally perfect in the eyes of God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, note it down. Paul would tell the Colossians, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 it says, wait, raise us up to get, he would raise us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Both of these verses are in the present tense. Meaning, though we are here, we are also in heaven. And now you and I, we can't even fathom that concept, but that positionally, that we are, we're good. That actually, our judgment day 
is in a sense in the past, the judgment in the sense of punishment, that our punishment's already been taken. And so the judgment's already been dealt with in that way. And so this can cause that we have no more fear. That perfect love casts out fear. The J.B. Phillips version, it's a version of the New Testament, says this about uh, verse 18, where it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fears. It puts it this way, that fully developed love, it's talking about a mature love, expels or casts out every particle of fear. That in love, there's no concept of fear, that those things cannot coexist together. The word cast out, it means to drive out or to force to go away. It means to do away with. And this is what happens as we are consumed with the love of God our fear should dissipate. It should absolutely go away. It should be cast out. Kind of like the example if, if someone was at sea. This would always be super crazy to me. You know, when I see uh, videos or uh, movies where someone's, you know, on like a life raft at sea, it sounds super terrifying. It sounds like fun for a moment until you realize no one is around and there's that, that fear that, that you and I probably, I don't think anyone's been stranded like that. Uh, that. That fear is something that you and I probably have never even experienced. Yet for that person, say, that's stranded on sea, when they see the boat in the distance, if they see someone coming, that in that moment of time where they are full of fear because they don't know what to do, they're stranded, they don't know if they're sharks or whatever, they have no know anything, and then they see hope. And that fear in that moment is cast out. That the potential for them to be saved, that what fills them in that moment is hope and excitement and fear takes a back seat. And this is one of the cool things about the believer and, and what happens and why I think there's so much joy and especially in the beginning because there's this realization There's this realization that I don't have to fear anything. If you don't have to fear death, what can be used against you? Nothing. This is why in this world, the believer is invincible. The believer, they have nothing to take away from us. Because the biggest fear of man is death, and you and I as believers, it's gone. It's cast out. And for you, if you fear that day, If you have fear of of that day when you're going to stand before Jesus, not in a reverential awe kind of way, but if you're actually afraid, then that shows that love has not been perfected in your life. You need to meditate on the love of God. See, this idea that, that fear involves torment, you can see that in verse 18. The word torment is punishment. That in God's love that we've received, there is no punishment. Another concept is for the word fear is the word dread. That you you and I have nothing to dread. We have nothing to fear in that day. And for the person who lives in fear of that day, it shows that that love has not been perfected. It means that they have not grown to a sufficient understanding of God's love. It's not mature. 
I want, it's not going to be on the screen, but I want you to hear the, the illustration that Tozer gives. Okay, so listen close. It says, the moment we come under the protection of one of goodwill, fear is cast out. A child in a crowded store is full of fear. Did you guys ever get lost when you were little? Oh, man, that is a terrifying thing for a little kid. Because it sees the strangers around it as em- enemies, and then in the mother's arms, a moment later, all terror subsides. That the known good will of the mother casts out fear. That think how quickly that can happen. That a kid could be screaming at the top of his lungs, freaking out, right, running around. And then the eye of the mom is caught and the embrace happens. And in a moment, fear is gone, done with. And there is a boldness that I'm with mom. Because there is no fear, there is no place for fear of punishment in a relationship of love. Do you guys hear that? There's no fear of punishment in a relationship of love. Fear and love cannot coexist together. And isn't it true that you want those who you love to have confidence in your love? Like, for example, my wife Haley. I would never want her to like be afraid of me. That would be like the opposite of everything I've been trying to communicate in our relationship, right? Or your parents, uh, of course, want you to have a respectful fear of them to some extent, but they, they don't want you to be afraid of them. I mean, maybe your dad a little bit, but, but more like the idea of like, like there is that idea of reverential kind of fear and respect towards them. They want you to respect them. But hopefully, if you're afraid of your parents, then there's, then there's some uh, issue with the relationship of love there. And you and I are to still have a reverential respect toward God, but we are to have a boldness if we understand his love correctly. And so maybe you find yourself here today and you say, man, I, I do kind of fear that day. There is some dread. There's some worry there. Then the solution is more of God's love. Know it. Read it. Soak in it. Meditate on it. Pray it. Whatever you have to do to get into the word, to have a better understanding and a a richer, richer experience in the love of God, that is the only solution. All right, fourth and finally, you guys ready? Fourth thing, and this is another way that this originating and initiating love of God impacts us, and that is that it is influencing. It is influencing. And we find this in basically the entire portion that we read. We find in verse 7 and 11, verses 20 and 21, and it's this, that, that our love that we experience it should influence us to love others well. Again, the J.B. Phillips version says it like this. When it says, let us love one another, it's really saying, let us go on loving one another. This is something continual. And experiencing the love of God influences us to love other people. That loving one another is the evidence that we ourselves have actually experienced and encountered God's love. And it's super reasonable and logical. He says this, I mean, he says, if you're going to 
not love someone that you see, that you can physically see, that's in physically in front of you, but then you expect to love of God who you can't see? That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't work. That loving God is inseparable from knowing God. That those two things, they, they can't exist. That the evidence that you know and have a relationship and love God, you can know that you, that's legit by your love for other people. David Guzik puts it this way, and you can put up the next slide. Uh, he, he gives this illustration in this uh, picture. Uh, no, sorry, the, the other one. There you go. Um, he says this, every human relationship is like a triangle, that the two people in the relationship are at the base of the triangle and God is at the top. That as the two people draw closer to the top of the triangle, closer to God, they will also draw closer to one another. Weak relationships are made strong when both people draw close to the Lord. That if your love for man vertical is far, that you're like, man, I, there's, I don't show love to other people. I don't go out of my way. I don't get out of my comfort zone. I don't do this or that, or I don't do what the Bible says to love one another. Then that shows that you are far down from God, that there's something, there's a distance in your relationship with God. And it's not the fact, you don't fix that by trying to love other people first. You fix that by getting closer to the Lord, and just the natural result of you understanding God's love, it'll fill you in a way that it starts just outflowing of your life, and you can't even help but love other people. And if you experience that, you know it's true. That it's not like, when the Bible says, like, let us love one another, it's not like that's the, our sole purpose and focus. God is always the goal, and it's out of that great connection and relationship with him that everything else and out of this loving relationship with God, he wants, us to, he wants to use us as a vessel, as a conduit, to pour out that same love God given, that God gave to us. David Guzik also says this, if you had a pipe that was clogged and water kept going in it, but never came out, that pipe would be useless. You'd replace it. And just so God puts his love into our lives that it might flow out. We want the Lord to clear us and fill us so that his love can flow through us. I think it's a good word. It's a good word. Guys, God cares so much about our vertical relationships with each other that if there is something off in any relationship that you have, like that you haven't sought reconciliation, you haven't sought to, to better that relationship, that the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 5 that God would actually want us to not worship. God would want us to put away our dollar until the moment, or at least until we determine to go and fix things with that person. Matthew chapter, 20, uh, chapter 5 Jesus says this, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and then remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Guys, God is more pleased when you get right with your brother or sister than if you bring him a sacrifice or, or praise or resources or whatever it might be. That's how serious God takes it. He says, no, don't raise your hands to me in worship if you're not willing to love your brother. I don't want your money. I don't want you to serve me. 
that I, what I would want, the, the sacrifices that would please me would be that you obey what I said, and that is to love one another well. God takes it seriously. Warren Wearsby, the last quote, promise in closing with this, says this, because God is love, we can love. His love is not past history, it is present reality. Loving one another begins as a commandment, and then it becomes a privilege. But it is more than a commandment or a privilege. It is also a thrilling consequence and evidence that we are connected in Christ. Loving one another is not something we simply ought to do. It is something we, something we want to do. And, if, and I can tell you, if you have no desire to show displays or acts and, and love each, each other uh, unselfishly, which all of us, to some extent, I understand. We're, we're sinners, and we're not going to be perfect, and there's some people that you're going to clash with. Totally get it. But if there's no one that you're pouring into, if there's no one that you're actively reaching out to, and especially in this room, you might, well, I love my mom. It doesn't, okay, come on. I'm talking about this, okay? And that's where I wanted to give you guys the sheet that hopefully all of you have. You guys can pull that out, and it's the one another passages, and this was my way of hopefully giving you guys something a little bit practical to leave with. Rather than just talking about God's love and talking about how it should impact us, um, you're like, well, I don't know how that really looks. Well, I just gave you a sheet that is full of ways to do that. Uh, and I hope this, this is something that sticks in your mind and in your head and in your heart. And it's, the, and it's this, uh, what we find in the scripture in the New Testament and and what people refer to them as the one another passages. Everyone say one another passages. Um, there are over a hundred times that we see in the New Testament that this word one another kind of comes up. Uh, but there are 59 specific times in scripture, and the list is not exhaustive, meaning I believe there are others, but this is just to help get you started. There are 59 times in scripture where we are told to, it's the kind of the practical of loving one another. It's the fact that we're to pray for one another. The fact that we're supposed to bear burdens of one another. And we're to do this. And, and, and another word for it is each other. But this kind of uh, concept is huge and important. And so what I want you to do, that sheet is for you. Uh, but I just want you to pray and think through, okay, where am I lacking in these areas? What, can I, what am I to start doing? And I think the best place to start is you're, the one another that God's talking about is a church. And your church community specifically is either the high school or the junior high and then both together. And so here's some, just a, a practical way. I'd encourage you to look over the list, pray over the list, uh, keep it as a point of reference. Um, but God, it's not like God's just like love one another figure, and figure out what that means. No, God, oh my gosh. As I was looking down that list, I was like, oh man, okay, yeah, I need to do that or Okay, Lord, help me to fill that gap that's missing in my life or whatever it might be. So um, for you guys, if, if there's something lacking in these areas of boldness or influence, and, and if God's love ha is having no effect on you, that's because you're not really meditating in God's love. And so uh, worship team, you can come out and we're going to close in prayer and uh, if we can sing that, that last song that we sang, it was awesome. It's all about the Savior's love. So, God, we come before you and we thank you 
for your steadfast, unfailing love for us. Lord, that it wasn't that we were so great and we pursued you and we had faith and we loved. It was that you're good, that you're the source of love that you came after us, you took that first step, and for that we respond with gratitude, for that we respond with thanksgiving, and we respond with ourselves. What do we have to give you except our heart? And so, Lord, we give you that now and, and ask, Lord, that you would help us to have that simple confidence in you, that we'd have that boldness and that there would be no fear of punishment that we would know your gospel in a way that we would have absolute certainty in our destination. And for those in this room, Lord, that you know them, that they really haven't experienced your love, that they're actually not even a son or daughter of yours, that they're actually right now that you would consider them an enemy of yours. I pray right now as you, I know you are speaking to them and drawing them, as you only can do. Lord, that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room that they've not yet experienced that love, that you just speak to them, that you would encourage them, that you would remind them that the simple step in drawing near is to draw near, to just talk with you, is to receive you, is to want you, And Lord, for those that are believers and they just are off, that the horizontal relationship with you, um, Lord, is just, it's just not, not there. Lord, I pray that you would just minister to their heart right now and show them that, Lord, that it wouldn't be this like guilt trip. It's not what you do. You'd convict them in the most encouraging way and bring rebuke. Lord, but just have your way with us. Lord, help us to fulfill what you want us to do. Would we be a clean vessel where you would be able to use us and use us to display your love to others? God, we love you so much and we're just amazed who you are, what you've done. And so we just focus on you as we close in worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.